of our series on how do I measure up according to Scripture regarding different subjects. We've dealt now with uh, the issue of uh, faith. How is my faith? Um, do I measure up to the things that the Bible says uh, are characteristic of someone whose faith is growing and is maturing and thriving? Uh, we then dealt with uh, the issue of our Bible reading and uh, the importance of that and, and what is it that distinguishes a growing heart for God's Word. It's not so much just uh, making sure that we read a volume of Scripture as much as we fan the flames of our desire to, lead, to, to read this book and to study this book and that we grow in that area. And then we last week dealt with the issue of uh, in our prayer life, uh, how are we doing when it comes to our prayer life? Are we growing? Are we increasing? Are we be becoming more mature in those areas? And tonight we're going to deal with the issue of love. Um, love is, is one of those things that when I was a teenager growing up, uh, churches that preached on love were considered liberal churches. But the truth of the matter is the Bible is very, very clear about this that love is a very big thing in the heart of a Christian. In fact, when the, in the book of Galatians, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the very first one on the list is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so on. Uh, and, and over and over and over through Scripture, we find that we're to love. And uh, we, we emphasize, we, we almost have shied away from the topic of love because it was for so many years there were churches that that's all they taught was love, 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 and never uh, the sinfulness of sin. They never dealt with um, the, the idea of having standards and growing in your life and uh, confronting a brother that's overtaken in a fault. They would, they would push those aside and just preach love, and that's all they ever preached. And as a result, good, independent, uh, doctrinally sound churches, uh, they, they shied away from the subject, not wanting to be identified perhaps with liberal-minded churches, and yet... Uh, the Bible is very clear that we as God's people are to grow in this love. And uh, so how do I measure up when it comes to this love that I'm supposed to have? Uh, how do I measure up according to Scripture? Does the Bible give indication of, uh, of milestones or benchmarks? Are there, are there measuring indicators in Scripture that can help me gauge how my love as a Christian is? And I believe there are. We're going to look at some of those tonight. First John chapter 4. And uh, I want you to notice very at the very beginning of the onset of this subject uh, that in verse number 7, John writes, Beloved, let us love one another. Notice this phrase, For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And some people say, Well, I know people that are not saved and they love. We're not talking about the human nature part of love. We're going to explain that in a little while here. But we're talking about the love that only a Christian can have in their life. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, notice this, he that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. It doesn't say that he just has love for people, although he does. But it's actually part of his nature. It's part of his character. It's part of his attributes. And uh, so uh, we're commanded that we're to love. Uh, we're to love uh, in a way that is a uh, God-given love. 
And so we're going to look at some things regarding this subject that will help us to gauge, help us to measure. Uh, not again, I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, measure myself by so-and-so's love or this person's love over here or how they treat people. Uh, I, that's, that is never my rule of measurement, and it should not be for you. Our rule of measurement should always be God's Word. And so we're going to look at what it says about this in, uh, in the Bible. So let's start in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. Now, again, I'm going to try to condense and consolidate uh, the Scriptures, make it easy for us to turn and uh, not spend a ton of time uh, turning back and forth in the Bible. We're going to look at uh, uh, four different passages tonight specifically and uh, then three separate verses, and uh, then that should do it. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, and uh, as we get down to, uh, I'm sorry, verse, did I say 4? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, excuse me, and verse number 12. Notice what Paul says here to the church at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another, and toward all men, even as we do toward you. I want you to notice that, first of all, the source of this love is not our flesh nature. Uh, there's a love that our nature, our flesh nature has. And the love that our flesh nature has is a love that is a selfish love. It's a love that enjoys the pleasure of what it gets. Um, and I, not that this is a, a sinful thing to do, but I'll just give you an illustration if I were to tell you tonight that I love to fly airplanes, that is a purely selfish love. That's a love that it is something that gives me pleasure, that I enjoy, uh, and I enjoy it greatly. And I would use the word or the expression, I love to fly. But if I were to tell you tonight that I love to meet the needs of my children, that's an unselfish love. That's a love that I, I, I enjoy it just as much as I enjoy flying and, and, and more so. But the difference is this is a love that has actually cost me something. And I love doing it just the same. So, so, so keep this in mind and, and understand the difference between them. And, and so when Paul is speaking here to the church at Thessalonica... And he tells them here in verse number 12, the Lord make you to increase, and then I want you to notice this, and abound. So not only are we supposed to be growing in this love, but we're to maintain that growth. And the word abound literally gives the idea of having more than is necessary. To have a cup that's running over in it. Uh, to, to, to have, as one fellow put it this way, to have an, an effervescence of it. Uh, where it just bubbles up and bubbles out. When people get around you, uh, do they look at you and say, boy, there's somebody that just loves everybody. They love the Lord, and, uh, and that love just shows through their life. Um, is there that effervescent uh, display of God's love in our life? And I'm not talking about condoning men's sins. In fact, to, to, to be truthful about it, uh, God's love is one that cannot tolerate the sin. And the best way we can show that person that's in that sin that we love them is to tell them about that. 
and to speak the truth in love. So don't get this idea that when I talk about love from the pulpit here, that I'm saying we just brush over everything and we sweep sin under the rug and we say, oh, let's just put our arms and love everybody. Sometimes love hurts. And sometimes love is the best thing I can do is to, is to help that person see the error of their sin. And so this is the love that the Lord gives us. And we are commanded here by Paul, by the Holy Spirit, but through Paul, to not only increase in this love, but we are also to abound in this love. And so one of the things that we need to look at uh, when it comes to our love is, I would ask myself this question, am I increasing in my love? This, this love that the Lord puts in my heart for, for other people, the, the concern, the compassion, the care, not only for Him, but for others. Uh, is that increasing? Do I see that I love people more today and I'm more burdened for people today than I was six months or eight months or a year ago or ten years ago? And this is a rule of measurement by the, by the Scriptures. That our love is not a stagnant love. It's not a, a love that plateaus and just maintains. But it's something that increases. And then Paul says, not only does it increase, but it should abound. It should, it should bubble over. It should be more than you need. It should be blatantly obvious. It should be the natural character of a Christian to have God's love in their hearts. And notice what else he says here in verse number 12. He says that we're to, that the Lord make you to increase and abound in love. Notice this, one toward another. <laughs> one toward another. Have you noticed that most of our love is self-love? Uh, most of our love is... I want it to be something I want. I want to make sure that it benefits me. Uh, I want to make sure that if I'm going to go out here and do something for somebody else, I get something out of it. Uh, When was the last time we just said, I want to do something for somebody because I love them? And the Bible tells us that our love for others ought to be the same as the love that Christ had for you and I. If, if, If He loved us, we ought to love one another. And then he says this in verse number 12, not only toward one another, but it says this, toward all men. Toward all men. Our love for those even that are lost. Now I'm going to tell you, to have godly love, God-given love for some people, to me is very hard sometimes. There are some people that it's difficult to love them, isn't it? It's hard to have a compassion, to have a desire to reach them. Uh, the first thing we want to do about people that we don't like and, and that rub us the wrong way and cause us to cause us to get agitated toward them and, and, and have ill will towards them, the first thing we want to do is be critical of them. Go out here and tell everybody we can how terrible of a person, how sorry of a person they are. When was the last time that when we saw how sorry of a person they were, we were brokenhearted about it and went to our knees in prayer for them? It's the kind of love that the Lord Jesus had for us. You say, how do you know that? Because in Romans chapter number 5, the Bible says, But He commendeth His love toward us, and that when we were perfect, is that what it says? When we had cleaned up our life, is that what He says? What about when we had stopped disobeying Him? Is that what it says? He commendeth His love toward us in that while we were what? Yet sinners. 
Christ died for us. We don't wait for somebody to get things right with us to love them. We love them because Christ loves them. Because Christ died for them the same as He died for me and the same as He died for you. And so we love them. We don't condone their sin. We don't join in with it. We don't sweep it under the rug. We don't say, just as long as you're happy. But we have a burden for them. We long to see the the life changed by the transforming work of the Holy Spirit of God in their life. And so there ought to be a love for them. It ought to increase and it ought to abound. And while there ought to be love one for another among God's people, there also ought to be a love for all men. That's hard to do, isn't it? Uh, I watch the news sometimes. Not all the time, but I watch the news, try to stay current on some of the events that are going on in the world. I see some of our leaders and some of the people that are out here uh, rioting and and, uh, opposing moral goodness, and they're calling evil good and good evil. It's hard to love those people, but we're to love them. We don't love what they do. We can stand boldly on the Word of God against those things which they do. But the Bible tells us that we're to speak that truth in love. Let's turn now to Philippians chapter number 1. Philippians, back a few pages from 1 Thessalonians. Philippians chapter 1. Paul again writing to the church now in Philippi. And verse number 8, Paul says this, For God is my record, how I greatly long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. So notice that, that the love that Paul has for the brethren in the church at Philippi is a love that he has in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now, we, today we say, I love someone with all of my heart, in this day that Paul was writing, the seat of the emotions were the bowels. Uh, they, was, they, they would say, I love you from my bowels. Uh, my bowels are, are, are longing for you. Uh, and it was an expression, is what we would say oftentimes today. It would be similar to saying, I love you with all my heart. And so the, the emotion that Paul gives here, and he's saying that he loves the brethren in the bowels of Jesus Christ. The love that Christ had given him for those in Philippi. Now notice what he says here in verse number 8. He says, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. It's very important that we understand this. That the love that we have for one another is something that the Lord would give to us. Now look in verse number 9. He says this, And this I pray, that your love may, here's that word again, abound yet more and more. So this love is to continue to abound. It's to, it's to increase even. It says more and more. Notice what we're to have this love in. He says this, That your love may yet abound, may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. When we love the way that we should, 
a mark of our love growing and a measuring point to, to, to measure against and say, is my love abounding more and more as it should, is going to be indicated by the knowledge that I have of spiritual things. Now, let me explain why that will be. When we begin to love with God's love the way that we should, we love Him more. We love the ones that He loves more. We love the things that He loves more. And as a result of that, we're going to love His Word more. We're going to be reading it more. Why? Because this love is growing in us. And so one of the marks of our love growing is that our knowledge of of God, our knowledge of spiritual matters, will also grow alongside of it. They're, they're, they're intertwined. You cannot love God the way that you should and not desire to know Him more every day. Not have that longing to, to know Him every day. And then it says this, and notice, in all judgment. Can I tell you this? When our love becomes what it should be, and when it's growing and it's abounding more and more, it will affect our judgment of things. Our judgment will become more and more in line with what God's Word dictates. I'm going to look at things and I'm not going to judge them by how I feel. I'm not going to judge them by do I think that's right or do I think that's wrong. I'm going to judge them by what does the Bible say. I'm going to look at the standards that I decide I'm going to have for my life. I'm not going to say, well, I think I ought to have them because so-and-so over here has them and I like the way they live. It's not a good enough reason. I'm not going to have the standards that I have because the churches and the group of people that I identify with spiritually, that's the set of standards they all have. That's not a good enough reason. They're not my authority. I have standards that are going to be based on my love of God's Word. I'm going to look to this book to set those standards. I was talking with somebody the other day about this, about about two weeks ago, and uh, we were talking about some standards. And I kept saying, "Well, but the Bible says this. The Bible says that." And they said, "Well, you just get all your standards from the Bible." And I looked at them, and they're they're a professing Christian. I said, "Where do you get yours from?" I mean, that's where we get our standards. It's from God's word. We get them from God's word. Why? Because our love is growing, our love for the Lord, our love to please Him. A heart that longs to not bring a reproach to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to grow in our knowledge and we're going to grow in our judgment. Our judgment is going to be affected. It's going to be influenced by the principles of God's Word. And so these are two marks, if you will, that ought to be evident in a life whose love is growing, the love that the Lord gives us, whose love is growing and abounding more and more. These are two marks, two measuring tools, if you will, from Scripture uh, that ought to be uh, evident in our lives. Now let's back up another page or so into the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. Ephesians, chapter number 4. About two pages back to the left. And again, Paul's writing now to the church at Ephesus. And uh, let's begin reading in verse number uh, 11. Very familiar passage. I, I preach on this uh, a couple times, uh, or about every two years or so. I preach a series of messages, actually, uh, on the purpose of the church, 
uh, based on some of these uh, verses because this, in a nutshell, gives us our purpose as a church, uh, why we're here. Uh, the Bible says in verse number 11, he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting here means the, the uh, growing, the maturing, the building, the edifying, the equipping, all of that. Uh, you're, you're helping that, that Christian grow in his Christian life. So he, he gave all these folks for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Again, this is not speaking of one that's sinless, but one that is fully grown, mature in the spiritual life. Unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Notice verse 15, but speaking the truth in what? Love. Speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him. If you have a pen, you ought to underline that phrase. May grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. What's he saying there in verse number 15? We're supposed to speak the truth. We're supposed to speak it in love. And the reason we do this, the reason we let everything we do with regards to our spiritual maturity be tempered with love, to be influenced by love, the reason that we do that is because that is what produces the maturity in our life. Notice what it says here. But speak the truth in love. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him. We become more Christ-like as our love grows. We become more spiritually mature as our love grows. That we may grow up into Him in all things. So I wrote down here, my love as it grows and as it abounds, the love that the Lord Jesus has has brought into my heart that I am to fan the flames of, I'm to, I'm to grow in it day in and day out, it is something that will produce maturity in a Christian's life. It will help us to grow up into Him in all things. We'll become more mature in all of these things. So, let's see what this love will affect. Can we do that? If this is what produces the maturity the perfecting of the saints, if you will, if this is something that is an indicator of that, uh, of our love, then what, what is it then that our love growing will affect? What are these areas of maturity that are spoken here? Does Paul give us any? Well, sure he does. Look in verse number 12. For the perfecting of the saints, that's, that's the maturing work, the, the building, the growing work. For the work of the ministry. So I have down here, secondly, as our love grows, so will our desire for the work of the ministry grow. As the love that God has given to us grows, our desire for the work of the ministry will also grow with it. And so we can ask the question, is my desire for God's work in this world, am I becoming more and more burdened for it? Am I having more and more of a desire to roll up my sleeves and get involved and be a part of it? This also, this maturing of, of, uh, of the Christians in, in verse number, or the saints in verse number 12, this perfecting of the saints, 
is for the work of the ministry, and also it's for the edifying of the body of Christ. So my next question would be this. If my love is growing and abounding more and more as it should be, and that's what's bringing about this perfection, this, this maturity in my life, then should it not also be indicated by the fact that I have more of a desire to edify the body of Christ? I have a desire to go around and help my brethren in every way that I can. To pray for them, to encourage them, to lift them up, to weep with them when they weep, and to to put an arm around them when they're in valleys, and to try to be a help to them when they're in time of need. As my love grows the way that it should, this should be one of the indicating marks of it. Because it's this love that allows us to grow up into Him in all things. allows us to have this maturity, this growth in our life. And that growth is marked by having a desire for the work of the ministry. And it is marked by having a desire to edify the body of Christ. And then I want you to notice this. He says in verse number 13, Till we all come in the what? Verse number 13, Till we all come in the what? Unity of the faith. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. What does that mean? That means that we all get to know Scripture together. That we can rightly divide Scripture. That we have doctrinal doctrinal soundness that we can all hold fast to together. So our love for one another would cause us to strive to have this unity of faith with the brethren. That doesn't mean that we go out here and join arm in arm with every so-called church and become an ecumenical church. That is not what this is referring to. It has nothing to do with denominational things. It has everything to do with the faith of God's Word. To have this doctrinal soundness that we can come together in unity on and say, this is what the Bible says, and I want to make it the rule of my life. I want to make it the practice of my life. As our love grows, that's a mark that there's a desire for all of us to study, to know Scripture, to have a unity of faith. Not to have a... Not to have a striving uh, about things that are of no consequence, but that we'd have a unity of faith. And then notice he also says this. In verse number 13, he says, "...to all come together, or come in the unity of the faith, and notice this, and of the knowledge of the Son of God." We already mentioned this a moment ago, but as my love grows, my desire to know Him is also going to grow. My desire to walk with Him is going to grow. My desire to fellowship with Him is going to grow. My desire to know more about Him is going to grow. You think back to the time when you were either dating or just before you got married and uh, you met this person for the first time. Maybe they were a stranger the first time you ever laid eyes on them. They would have been, obviously. You didn't know anything about them, but boy, maybe something in your heart said, I want to get to know that person. I want to, I want to see if I can... Uh, Develop a relationship with that person. You know how you develop that relationship? You know how you get to the place where you finally say, I love you to someone? You learn about them. You spend time with them. You get to know them. And your heart grows in that love. And so the love that we have as it grows and as it abounds more and more will cause us to have more of a desire to know Him. Then he also says this, Verse number 13, he says, 
till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. This is the mature man, the fully equipped man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I love this one. Can I tell you this? The more that our love grows and causes a maturing effect in our lives, it causes us to grow up into Him in all things. The more that love builds and grows in our life, the more we long to be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to become like part of what He is. We want the fullness of Him to be part of what we are. I remember years ago we had a fellow in our church, a dear friend of mine, his name is Wendell Reynolds. He now lives over in Franklin, Indiana. and Or Trafalgar, Indiana, I guess, is where they live. And a dear friend of mine, and he was on staff at our church. He was our maintenance guy. And because he was a maintenance guy, he had a, a set of keys uh, that hung on his belt. You guys know what I'm talking about. It had like 30 keys on it. And uh, he had a couple, he had, he had a bunch of, he had a whole pass of kids. And uh, they, they just seemed to always want to have more kids, it seemed like. And uh, he had a couple boys. And they, I remember when they were born, you know, I remember them growing up. And, you know, little babies coming to church. And then they toddling around. And then they're in kindergarten, and they're in first grade. And I was remember watching them. And I, I came to church one night, and one of, the, one of his boys was walking with him. And I heard Wendell's keys rattle like they normally did. And I heard another little rattle. And I thought, what was that? And I looked down, and his little boy had a, had a keychain on his belt loop with a couple keys on it. They didn't go to anything. But you know why that little boy had a keychain on his belt loop? Because he loved his dad. And he wanted to be just like him. Can I tell you this? As our love grows, we ought to be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I want to be just like you. You say, Pastor, I'm never going to make it. No, but it ought to be our desire. It ought to be our desire to be just like Him until we reach His fullness. You say, well, that will never happen. Then we better get started. We better keep pursuing it. And don't get discouraged in it. Our love for Him will cause us to desire to be just like Him. I don't, I don't want to be godly because it's what people expect of me. And there are a lot of people, that's their reasoning. I don't want to be godly because I'm worried what people will say if I'm not. There's a lot of people that that's their reasoning. I want to be godly because I love the Lord Jesus for what He's done for me. And I want to be just like Him. I don't want to disappoint Him. So this love will cause us to strive to be filled with all the fullness of Christ. And I want you to notice in verse number uh, 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 14, he says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cutting craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive us. I wrote down here, as our love grows, our stability... Our grounding in biblical doctrine will increase. Why? Because I'm going to have more of a desire to read it. I'm going to have more of a desire to study it. I'm going to have more of a desire to obey it. And so my doctrine is going to be well established. It's going to be grounded. And I'm not going to be like children anymore, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Why? Because I want to speak the truth in love that I may grow up in Him in all things. Look back just one chapter to chapter 3, verse number 17. 
he, he states it a little differently here in verse 17. But it's the same concept. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may, un- may comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. Why? Because we have such a love for Him, for the things of God. We have such a love for the Word of God. We have such a love for becoming more like Him. And it causes us to be rooted. It causes us to be grounded. Can I tell you this? It causes us to be steadfast. Can we use the Bible word here and say it causes us to be perfect? And and again, I'm not talking about sinless. It causes us to be grown up. When I was a child, I spake as a child, understood as a child. The Bible says, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. I have watched my son grow up. We've done a couple things this year to kind of build some character into him and build some things into him. I texted him the other day and just wanted him to have a record of it in his phone. I said, son, I want to let you know I love you and I'm very proud of you, of who you're becoming. He's not there yet. But he's becoming something. And I want, him to, I want him to be grounded in it. I want him to be established in it. He's maturing. He's growing up. And can I tell you this? That the mark of our love growing and abounding is the maturity that will take place in our lives in these areas. We'll notice that things are becoming more stable, more established in our life. We're not tossed about all the time. I ever went to doctor. We're not, we're not walking around and anxious and worried all the time, doubting things all the time. And it's three minutes after eight. Bear with me for just a minute and we'll finish up here. Let's go ahead and go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So the culmination of all of this, if, if, if the whole reason for, uh, if the whole reason for this love growing or the whole one of the big indicators of our love growing is maturity, uh, perfecting of the saints, um, then I would have to say that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 gives us the fruit of a fully matured, or at least a a grown-up, a a matured love that God has given to us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, the King James translators use the word charity. You say, well, what's the difference between charity and love? Is there a difference? Well, yes, because they're not spelled the same way. So there is a difference, and things that are different are not the same. There is a distinction here. And so I want to, I want to take just a minute to share with you the difference between the word love and the word charity that's used here. There's three other passages of Scripture that also use the word charity, uh, and I'll give those to you here in just a few moments, and we'll take a look at them. But the reason that, that the King James translators used this word and, and didn't use the word love here, and I've heard people say, well, that, that word, you just replace it with love. There's a, there's a nuance to the word charity that needs to be there. That if you use the word love, you lose it. You, you miss out on it. Uh, that's why I love the King James Bible. It's, it's such a perfect book. 
And, and I want you to notice that they were making a difference to distinguish between that love that is that is that pleasant, enjoyable love that I was speaking of earlier, uh, that is more of this selfish love. It's attributed to the, the human nature's desire for love. And, and it's used to distinguish between that type of love and a love that is willing to suffer uh, sacrifice for the object of their love, and it is no sacrifice to them at all. They do it because of their love. And this love is a love that can only be attributed to the love that God had for you and I that He puts in us when He saves us. His love comes to reside inside of us. So I looked it up in Webster's 28 Dictionary, 1828 Dictionary, uh, this word charity. And Webster says this, in a theological sense, so this is the sense we're wanting to know it, about it. He said, in a theological sense, it includes supreme love to God and universal goodwill to men. Let me just read that one more time. In a theological sense, it includes supreme love to God and universal goodwill to men. We love everyone else because we love Him. It's the love of God that is shed abroad in our heart that is to be thriving and growing. And that only happens as we yield ourselves more and more to the Lord. And as we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13... He speaks of this type of love, this charity that is spoken of here, that, that, that Webster uh, says it, it includes a supreme love to God and universal goodwill to men. I often word it this way, charity is love in action. The love that God has given to us that causes us to have something that is produced out of us that reflects that love. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now listen to me. He's talking about people who are on a spiritual plane speaking with the tongues of men and of angels, let's say. More important than that is love. And he said, if I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries, if I have all faith, faith that I could remove mountains, and I don't have charity, verse number 2, he says, I am nothing. Love is more important than that. The, the love that God has given to us in our hearts, our supreme love for Him, that brings about a love for mankind because of it. He says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, profit me nothing, you could be the very best humanitarian, you could be the very best Christian that you could ever imagine. And if your love is not what it should be, Paul says you're nothing. Now notice in verse number 4, we're going to see here, I think is one of the best tape measures, spiritual tape measures that there is in verses 4 through 7. Let's look at it. If my love is what it should be, if my charity, let's use the word charity here because that's what the King James translators use, but you understand what it means here. When my charity is what it should be, according to verse number 4, it will cause me to be long-suffering. Charity suffereth long. That means I take an awful lot of wrongdoing. 
before I retaliate or get angry about it and get riled up about it. There's a patience in long-suffering that's necessary. When my charity is what it should be, according to verse number 4, it says that it produces kindness in my life. It says that charity not only suffers long, but it's kind. It's kind. And if it's growing, if it's abounding more and more, then that kindness should be growing. And that kindness should be abounding more and more. Notice he also says in verse number 4, Charity envieth not. When you love God the way that you should, you're grateful for the things that He's given to you. And you rejoice in the things He's done for others. You're not envious of them. Notice this, it says, Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. It's not braggadocious. It's not prideful. I remember joking years ago with one of my staff men, we would joke about this, about the book that we were going to write about the world's ten most humble men and how I trained the other nine. And the idea that we were proud of our humility. Or the other, the sequel to the book, we came up with a title for it, The Road to Humility and How I Walked It. And we would joke about that. Because the truth is, when you start talking about the subject of pride, it's very, very difficult First of all, to define it well. And secondly, every time you think that you're getting a grasp on your pride, you become proud of getting a grasp on your pride. I like the definition I heard somebody say one time. They said, pride is not thinking more of yourself than you are. And it's not thinking, or I'm sorry, humility is not thinking more of yourself than you are. Neither is it thinking less of yourself than you are. It's just simply not thinking of yourself. I think that's a great definition of humility. So it's not puffed up. This charity that that Paul speaks of here doth not behave itself unseemly. The word unseemly here, I looked it up in the Webster's 1828. In the the sense that it was used here within the context of this, it means indecent or unbecoming. Indecent, I think we all can understand that, that it's something that is not even socially acceptable. But when it uses the word unbecoming, it means that I'm not reflecting what the Bible is teaching. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not becoming as that which becometh the gospel. I'm not reflecting the truth of the Word of God in my life. And so charity uh, is, does not behave itself in such a way that I do not reflect the Bible. Charity is going to cause me to want to live what the Bible says, not to be indecent. Charity seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Well, that's a tough one, isn't it, sometimes? There are some people that just get under your skin. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, there, there are people that, you know, we're supposed to love people, so we love everybody. We have a burden for them, but we don't always like everybody. There's some people just irritate us. But charity is that which is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. That's another tough one. Again, these are marks. If my charity is what it should be, if I'm growing and abounding in it more and more, it rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. 
I mentioned it early on that just because we say we ought to love people doesn't mean we condone their sin. We don't rejoice in it. We don't celebrate their sin and say, well, that's me being accepting of them and loving them. No, no. Sometimes the best thing we can do is rejoice in the truth and show it to them. Verse number 7, it says, Beareth all things. And he's speaking here specifically of living the Christian life in this case because persecution is coming. And these next few things that are given in verse number 7, as our love for the Lord grows, it causes us to be able to bear things that maybe are not pleasant in our life as we live. The Bible says, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That will come. And as our love for the Lord grows, it will cause us to bear all things. Notice this, believeth all things. It will cause us to believe all things. Hopeth all things. We've spoken about that biblical use of the word hope. When we read it in Scripture and it's not yet happened yet, we take it as though it's as sure as already done. And then notice this, endureth all things. He goes on to say in verse number 8, the very first part, charity never faileth. So all this stuff that we've studied up until this point, until we got to chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, is about our, our love growing, increasing, abounding more and more. The effects that it has on our life that, that will characterize our life, that will be evident and will be on display in our life. And we ought to measure and see, are these things happening? And if they're not, then my love for the Lord is not growing. My love for His Word is not growing. My love for others is not growing. And the culmination of it comes to this 1 Corinthians 13. This, this, is, this is love perfected. This is the maturity level of love. To find these attributes, these characteristics that are found in verses 4 through 7 in the first part of verse number 8. At the very end of the chapter, he says this in verse number 13, Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is what? Charity. Wait a minute. What are the other two? Faith. Well, faith is important, isn't it? We, we, we use that as our first lesson. Everything else was based on that. Hope. Getting to the place where we, we just believe the promises of God. That's important. But out of all three, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, Paul says the greatest of them is charity. A supreme love for God and a desire for goodwill toward men. Is our love growing? Is our love what it should be biblically? The love is not based on things that are enjoyable or pleasant to us. The love is based on what God has done for us that we long to be able to do for others. We want to love the brethren and we want to love all men. We oftentimes get love mixed up for what we enjoy. What pleases us. That's the, that's the fleshly. That's the natural man's kind of love. But this charity that the Bible speaks of, this, this deep love 
for God is such that it is an unselfish love. And I hope that will help you. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, I do pray that You'll bless the teaching of Your Word. And Lord, as we've studied these things, I pray that You would help us to uh, 